there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in the world of intelligence and national security, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest has worked in that world for decades in a variety of capacities and has lots of insights to share with you about the obvious and maybe the not so obvious ways that exist for you to break into it. But before I introduce you to Larry Hanauer, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's Time for Coffee's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays to give you an exclusive look at the episodes and the professionals we're going to be featuring that week. Just check out the Time for Coffee website at time4coffee.org and the sign up box is right there on the homepage. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Larry Hanauer, the Vice President for Policy at the Intelligence and National Security Alliance, also known as INSA. It is the leading nonpartisan nonprofit trade association for driving public-private partnerships to advance intelligence and national security priorities. Before joining INSA in October 2016, Larry spent more than 20 years working on national security issues in the executive and legislative branches of government on Capitol Hill, at a leading think tank, and at a large defense contractor. From 2010 to 2016, he worked as a senior international policy analyst at the RAND Corporation, where his research focused on foreign policy, intelligence, and national security principally regarding the Middle East and Africa. And from 2005 to 2010, Larry was a senior staff member at the U.S. House of Representatives Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, one of two congressional committees charged with overseeing the U.S. intelligence community. To learn more about Larry's distinguished career, please check out show notes for this episode. And if you want to learn more about Larry and how he built his career and what he does in his current job as vice president for policy at INSA, check out show notes to see if the main T4C interview with Larry has already dropped. I also want to let you know that we have the misfortune of being in the middle of a construction zone in my neighborhood. So if you hear banging, hammering, all those buzz saws going on in the background. I apologize in advance, but I am thrilled to have Larry here with me, sitting across from me in my home. Larry, welcome to Time for Coffee. Thank you, Andrea. I'm glad to be here. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I am fully caffeinated. Yes. I have my T4C mug, and, and I guess I am a Java junkie, because I think this is my fifth or sixth cup of the day. So I'm ready to go. Holy cow. You are like the poster child for Time for Coffee. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Larry, let us jump into the Time for Coffee espresso shots. These are the 10 questions to help our Java junkies get a better handle on what it would take for them to break into the way that we're going to describe your field is 
national security kind of policy wonk. Exactly. So when I think about my career as a whole, I think of myself as really a national security policy analyst. Because as you said, I've worked in government, I've worked at a contractor, I've worked at a think tank, now I'm at a trade association. So I've applied my national security experience and expertise in lots of different ways. And there are lots of different ways to do that. And we can talk about that. So there are a lot of different career paths you could do. You could go into government, you could be an analyst for intelligence issues where you're really focusing on what's going on in other parts of the world. You could contribute to U.S. policymaking. You could contribute to U.S. lawmaking. You could work on international business. There are a lot of different ways that you can work on foreign affairs and national security issues. That is so exciting. So first, espresso shot. What entry-level jobs are available for young people who want to break into the national security policy wonk world? So I mean, in the intelligence field, really anything, because we think about intelligence as being, you know, James Bond out in the field or Jack Ryan, you know, doing some sort of analysis. And those jobs are absolutely available and they're probably the most interesting ones. But the intelligence agencies and other government agencies as well need lawyers and personnel experts and contracting experts. So really anything that you might want to do, you can do it in the intelligence community or in government. One great way to test out options in the intelligence community is to work for a contractor, a private firm that supplements what the government employees do, either with extra labor or unique expertise that the government doesn't have. Because what happens is you go work for one of these firms and you get assigned to a contract. And that contract may last a year or six months. And so you get to rotate around and try a lot of different things. So over the course of a couple of years at one of these firms, you can work at different agencies, you can work on different issues, you can work in different roles, and you get a little bit of a tasting menu of what kinds of issues you like, what kinds of work environments you like, and what kind of roles you want to play. So I think one of the best entry-level jobs you can take in the intelligence community or on foreign affairs and defense issues is by working at a private contractor that supports the defense department, the intelligence community, or other government agencies. Great. So I recognize you've laid out a whole smorgasbord of options here. We're both going to get hungry. And there are, I'm sure, a ton of different entry-level jobs. But for our young listeners, Larry... What are the titles that Mm -hmm. usually signal that's entry level? Right. At most intelligence agencies, it might be an intelligence analyst or maybe a foreign affairs officer. In government agencies, typically the jobs are listed by the rank. And so if you're coming out of college, you're looking for jobs at the GS. GS means general schedule. It's like the pay scale. GS 7 or 9. If you're coming out of graduate school, maybe GS 9 or 11. And so that's kind of the level at which you're looking. But you're looking for intelligence analysts policy analyst, foreign affairs officer, research assistant. If you're in the nonprofit world or in a think tank, you're looking for jobs that are research assistant or a junior policy analyst, something like that. Terrific. So Larry, what is a skill or skills that you look for in the young people that you hire, whether at INSA or at other places that you've worked? There are two skills, really, that people need to be able to show in any job, but particularly when you're breaking into an organization, when you're trying to get the job, and when you're trying to show that you add value. One is you need to be able to write and communicate. No matter who your audience is, no matter what kind of issue you're working on, you need to be able to research and write and convey your findings effectively. You need to be able to adjust that too for your audience. When I was at RAND, I wrote 300-page books. When I worked for a congressional committee, I wrote two paragraphs and a few talking points because that's all the members of Congress had time to read before they went into a hearing or went into a meeting. So you need to be able to write 
clearly and concisely and tailor what you do for your audience. You also need to be able to present what your ideas are. You may be doing a formal briefing or you may just be presenting your ideas in a meeting, but you need to be able to present clearly and convincingly to get your ideas across. The second skill really is that you need to be able to be proactive. I think particularly when you're in an entry-level job, your colleagues will look to you to just get things done because anything you can do is something they don't need to do. So if you can be proactive and identify and solve problems before your colleagues have to deal with them, they'll be thrilled. If you can present not just a problem, but a solution, you've already done half the job that your more senior colleagues might have to do with the information you're presenting them. So be proactive, be solution-oriented, and just offer to get things done. Terrific. What about someone's major, Larry, for someone who wants to get an entry-level job? Is it essential that they have studied international affairs, foreign policy, national security, government? Not at all. I was an English major, and I'm not doing anything related to literature these days. So again, I think as you're choosing a major or courses of study, the most important thing is to learn how to research, to write, and to analyze. Because if you have those skills, you can apply them to any foreign affairs issue, any intelligence issue in any way, fashion, or form. Those skills are much more important than what you studied in order to get those skills. There's one catch, I would say. Nowadays, there's so much data in the world that we need to understand in order to understand a foreign policy issue or an overseas social dynamic that I think it's pretty important for anyone who wants to go into foreign affairs or intelligence to at least demonstrate some proficiency with data analysis and with the software tools that you need to use to to make sense of big data. It used to be that if you were trying to understand what was going on in the political views in the street in Iran, you could read some newspapers and read some speeches and you knew something already and you came up with an assessment. Now you can get 10 million Twitter posts and analyze them in 42 different ways. So it's important. You don't need to be a statistics major, but you really need to demonstrate some fluency with data analysis and software use. That is such a great point. Now, what about graduate school? How important is that less so for someone who's looking to get in to an entry-level job, more so for somebody who wants to advance in their career as you have? Mm -hmm. Actually, in a way, I think the graduate degree is more important to get in the door than it is to advance. Maybe there's degree inflation in this field, but it's possible to get in the door with a bachelor's degree. But many organizations will say, call us when you've gotten your graduate degree or some significant overseas experience. So the master's degree has really become sort of the baseline requirement to get in the door. Not 100% of the time, but that's sort of the expectation. The only exception to that is if you want to be a lawyer and practice law, you need a law degree, clearly. If you want to be a really senior level researcher at a think tank, a PhD is necessary. That's sort of the minimum ticket to admission. But for the most part, to do intelligence analysis, to do policy analysis, whether in government or not, a master's degree is kind of the basic requirement. In what? A master's degree in? Lots of different things. But the most effective degrees, I think, are sort of a general international affairs degree. I went, for example, to the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts University. There are several schools here in the Washington area and in New York and elsewhere. They give you broad training and experience in international affairs, international law, public diplomacy. And then within those degrees, you choose an area of focus, whether it's a certain issue or a certain region. 
To me, those are more flexible and more useful than a degree in, let's say, Asian studies or African studies. Those can be very useful if you know you want to spend time in that region, but it gives you a little bit less flexibility later on if you change your mind or if, as often happens in U.S. foreign policy, certain regions become less important or the government spends less money on those regions and then you need to draw on some flexibility. So a broad degree that focuses on international affairs or international economics, I think, are the best degrees that you can get that give you the most flexibility over the long term. They also have the advantage of having terrific alumni networks in the field, both in government and outside of government. Yeah, that is such a great point because of the networking potential. Absolutely. What about life experiences, Larry? This is less so about the classroom experience, more so about speaking a foreign language. Mm -hmm travel? What things do you think Mm -hmm. would enhance someone's chances of getting an entry-level position on the Hill or elsewhere in government? Overseas experience is really valuable and people see it as very important because it demonstrates that you know what you're in for, you know what it's like to live and work overseas, and that you're committed to a career in working on a certain issue or in a region. Peace Corps volunteers have a lot of credibility because if you can survive living in a hut in a village in a poor country for two years, you can pretty much get through anything. And it gives you real on the ground experience working on foreign affairs. Even travel is useful because if you can explain how you had an interesting cultural experience, maybe beyond just the two-week vacation sightseeing, but if you spent time volunteering overseas, if you spent time living off the beaten path overseas, those kinds of experiences are really valuable to employers because they show that you're culturally proficient. Wonderful. Now, the fun part. <laughs> what for you, Larry, is the best part of being vice president for policy at INSA? Mm -hmm. Really the chance to have an impact on some issues that I think are important in the intelligence sphere. Unlike when I worked in government, when I worked directly on policy issues, now I'm working at a trade association whose members are defense contractors, companies that work for the defense department and the intelligence community. So sort of from the outside, we're working to shape government policy on issues that affect the intelligence community. Things like security clearance reform. Anyone who's trying to enter this field knows it's hard to get a security clearance. It takes a long time. That process doesn't work for government agencies because they can't get people in the door. And it doesn't work for the companies that support government agencies because they can't hire people either, which means they can't bill them out and make a profit, which is what they need to do. So to be able to advance discussions on issues like that, that make the intelligence community more efficient and more effective, that's very satisfying. The flip side. Every job has aspects that suck, even the best. What for you is the part of your current job that sucks the most? Without question, it's the bureaucracy. And when I left government, I thought I might be leaving bureaucracy behind. But the challenge is that for organizations that work closely with the government, you're still held hostage to the same processes that slow government down. We partner very closely with government agencies. Our member companies partner very closely with government agencies. And so if the agencies move slowly and if the agencies can't make decisions, then nothing else moves. That's just a fact of life in this business. There's really nothing you can do to move the brick wall. It just moves at its own pace. Yeah, that would really be frustrating. So, Larry, one of the questions that I think is most interesting to our young listeners is to get the great career advice that our professionals who are guests on the show have gotten themselves. What is the best career advice you've ever got? I think it's that opportunities don't just happen. It's very rare 
that an opportunity is going to fall into your lap where someone's going to find you and offer you something that's your dream job or just what you want to do. You need to put yourself into a position where opportunities can happen to you. You need to volunteer. You need to get involved in a professional association. You need to get involved in an advocacy group, an issue that you're passionate about, because doing that will put you in contact with people in your field. It will give you a chance to demonstrate some commitment and some skills. It will get you a chance to show some accomplishments, whether you're organizing an event or writing an op-ed column or whatever it is you volunteered to do. You will get the skills and experience and you'll meet the people that you need to know to get ahead in your career. So by doing that, you're putting yourself in a position where people will see you and opportunities can happen to you. Great. So two final espresso shots. What movies, if any, and you mentioned Jack Ryan and uh, James Bond, or Netflix, Hulu, Amazon shows, or books, Larry, do you think best depict, best represent this field, what it's really like? Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not James Bond or Jack Ryan, I hate to say. Not very many movies and, and books really capture the kind of work that needs to get done because the TV and novels are always over-dramatized. And I hate to say it, the work isn't always that exciting. But I have to say the best novels that give a sense of what intelligence tradecraft is like and what intelligence work is like are the novels written by Washington Post columnist David Ignatius. He's written six or seven of them. They're really well-written. They're true to life. And he has an excellent sense of how intelligence work really gets done. On the nonfiction side, if you really want to get a sense of how the intelligence community works, particularly the CIA, books by Jana and Tony Mendez are fabulous. Tony Mendez was the chief of disguise at CIA, as was Jana, his wife. Tony, what is chief of disguise? Well, it's what it sounds like. They were the ones that forged documents and made wigs and makeup and mustaches and whatnot to get people in and out of hairy situations. Tony was the guy who went to Iran in the Argo scenario to get the American hostages out of Iran with sort of crazy disguises and crazy backstories. The two of them have written a number of books about human intelligence tradecraft. One is Argo, which is the true story of the Iranian hostages escape. One is called Master of Disguise, and they have a new book out called Moscow Rules, which is how they use these special tricks to allow CIA officers to do their work in Moscow, which is probably the hardest operational environment there is. So if you really want to get a sense of the James Bond work in a very readable way, the books by Tony and John Mendez are fabulous. Wonderful. And we will make sure to include those in our show notes. So final espresso shot, Larry. What would Java junkies be surprised to learn about the world of a national security policy wonk? That's a really good question. I think to some degree, it's that progress happens in, but to a large degree, progress happens in inches not miles, that people join this, people get into this field because they want to save the world and they want to have an enormous impact on U.S. foreign policy. That's hard to do. But when you are successful, you see things improve or you see policies get implemented in small stages. It takes a long time for a policy to change. One of my first jobs at the Pentagon was working on the first rounds of NATO enlargement in the late 1990s. And it took a few years to get Poland, Hungary, and the Czech Republic to make the political and the military reforms necessary so that NATO legislatures would allow them into the alliance. So every day we came to work hoping to have a major accomplishment, but typically what we did was we had small steps forward, small successes, and at the end of a couple of years, we got these three countries into NATO. So it's that success comes in stages and you have to have a long horizon. When you look back, you can say, 
I had an important impact on an important issue. But you're not going to have that after a week or a month. You're going to have that after a couple of years or more. That is such an important reality check. Larry, thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community. You are such an articulate spokesperson and advocate for this field. I absolutely, totally get why INSA hired you. Well, should should we do a little cheers? Cheers. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.